Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. So good to see you this morning. I want you to take your Bibles out uh, and turn with me. We're going to start, I guess, in Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6, then we're going to jump back over to Romans chapter 12, where we've been for a few weeks together. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul begins writing these words. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Um, we, are those, or we are those who have, who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And I love how he begins this passage here in Romans chapter 6, reminding us the significance of our commitment to him, the significance of that moment in our life for those of us that have chosen to, to become Christians, to be baptized into the waters of baptism, have that moment where faith and grace intersect, where forgiveness is is, is received, where washing and cleansing and justification happen, where the Holy Spirit is given to us and we are then sealed with that promised Holy Spirit that ensures our, our place in heaven. And he says, we, we, we've had that moment. And, and, and so... And if you've had that moment, it's been a great moment. There's some of us, some of you today, that, that, that for whatever reason have chosen not to have that moment in your walk with God. And, and if that is the case, man, we, we want you to do that. God wants you to do that. There's no hope without it. This passage lets us know that, that you're still going to be slaves to sin. The world's going to have control over you. Satan's going to have control over you. It's a decision that, that you need to make for yourself. He goes on, he says, For if we have been united with him in death, uh, in a death like his, we have certainly also been united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. We start there this morning because as we think about this idea that we've been working through this idea of, of living a renovated life, it's easy for us to get caught up in 
the here and now. It's easy for us to forget sometimes, I believe, um, the, the, the importance of our salvation, the importance of that relationship with God. It's, it's easy for us to forget the freedom that comes with our salvation. And, and it's, it's, it's easy for us to just get in that rhythm and get in that routine. And the whole point of our salvation is to renew us it's to fix us, it's to free us, it's to make us the best version of ourself that we can be. And as we look in this passage from Romans chapter 12, we see that played out in so many different ways. We started a handful of weeks ago at the very beginning of this passage talking about being a living sacrifice, being transformed into something holy, which means not perfect, but being set apart for a very specific purpose. And our purpose is to be set apart for a life with God in service to him. The next week, Jonathan talked about the idea of value versus being valuable and the importance of our work in the kingdom with each other. Last week, we talked about the idea of loving one another, preferring one another above anything and everything else, to not be lacking in zeal. The idea of not being lazy in your relationship with God, not settling for good enough, but always striving for excellence. And that leads us to our verse today. Our verse today comes starting in verse 14. We'll read verses 14 through 16 together. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not, uh, I'm sorry, do not be proud, be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. As we get ready to jump into this passage together, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for this chance to open up your word this morning. We thank you for these words from Paul, both from from, from both passages. God, we pray that you open our hearts and minds this morning. Help us be convicted by your spirit. Help us to be willing to take that conviction and allow it to lead to change this morning. Just help us to pull from this passage what, what you want us to understand and what you want us to know. Help us to grow. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, like we've been doing the last few weeks, we're just going to break these, these passages down, these, these phrases, and talk about some things together. And, and as all of the passages have been, there's, as I've studied, there's kind of jumped out a couple of things that, that, that's kind of, man, it just kind of punches you in the gut. It really gets your attention and makes you think, well, if I'm going to live this way, I'm really going to have to work on this. And I believe it starts, for me anyway, uh, the, the, the kind of the tough thing starts in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So the very uh, first two words that jump out to me here is bless and persecute. Bless and persecute. And let's look at them kind of backwards for a moment. Let's start with the idea of the word persecute. The word persecute, um, you know, I think that a lot of us maybe have a, a very loose idea of what persecution is. This idea of, of, of someone mistreating us or treating us wrongly, uh, maybe being made fun of because of our faith. Uh, scripture tells us many different times that persecution is going to be part of our walk with God if we're doing it the right way. Matthew chapter 5, these are words of Jesus himself. 
He says in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that's kind of one of those strange passages in Scripture that we look at and we're like, it's kind of like when people mistreat me, I'm supposed to feel good about it? And but what he's saying is here is if you're living your life the way that I want you to live, you're going to face pushback. And in that moment, understand, if you're facing pushback, then you know you're living the right life. You know that you're living the right life, and you're going to be blessed for that. And you can find joy in that. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so we've got that promise. There's a lot of promises in Scripture that we want to grab hold of, but I believe as American Christians, that's when we struggle of going, all right, God, I've got this one. Let me hold this one and live this one out. Because let's just be real, let's just be honest. In America, we've been very blessed as Christians, haven't we? We've been very blessed as Christians to, to live in a country that, that, I mean, yeah, you've got some groups that, that don't care much for Christians and from time to time try to cause problems, but... How many of you have ever had a Sunday morning where you've gathered like this that persecution has been involved in it? None of us, have we? The hardest thing that most of you deal with on Sunday morning is trying to figure out what to wear. You know, try to figure out what to put your kids in. You know, I mean, that's, that's the struggle of our Sunday mornings a lot of times. But he says, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Now, I want you to think with me for just a second and understand First off, what persecution isn't, okay? Persecution isn't when someone just disagrees with you. And a lot of times, we, we've become very sensitive, I think, in, in today's culture about disagreements and people having different opinions. Persecution is not something um, that you can opt out of. And, and what I mean by that is I've heard a lot of people, I just can't stand the persecution, the, the, the way they're mistreating Christians on the news. Well, you know what you can do to the news? What can you do with it? You can turn that off. It's not persecution if you can opt out of it. Does that make sense? If you could like keep it away from your life, that's not real persecution. You know, I read this thing on Facebook the other day. Usually when that's the start of a conversation, it's either something really funny or something really dumb. One of the two, right? And if there's things in your social media that, that trigger you and you feel like you're being attacked or whatever, opt out of it. Don't look at it. Do away with it, because those things really aren't persecution. You see, what persecution is, by definition, in particular, is to put someone in flight. It's the idea, uh, the word comes from a hunting term, a hunting term of a hunter chasing his prey to the point that he catches it and kills it or destroys it. And that's the idea of what real persecution is. Real persecution is when someone paints a target on you or paints a target on the church, and they say, I'm going to make it my mission to tear this down. I'm going to make it my mission to tear this down and to cause it pain and to cause it suffering. And that's something, in, in all honesty, that many of us, I'm not going to say all of us, because some of you very well might have, but many of us have never faced that level of, of challenge in our faith, because like I said, in America, we are very blessed. But as I think about the idea of persecution, I can't help but think of, of, of where it comes from. 
I can't help but think of where it comes from. Uh, there's, there's outside persecution, which I think when we think about it, we, we really do think about outside persecution of, of people of, of, of different beliefs than us, you know, wanting to stop us from doing what we're doing or disagreeing with what we're doing. But, you know, I think some of the greatest persecution, I think you see this in Scripture, comes from within the church sometimes. Comes from within the church sometimes. One of Paul's greatest challenges was not the outside influences of the church, but the what? The inside influences. Those that were inside of the church that said, I don't like what Paul's doing, and so we're going to do everything we can to tear it down. He had this group of, of believers that would come in behind him, and they would try to destroy everything that he did. That He finally kind of got to the point in his faith where he said, you know what? I don't worry about what they say about me. I don't worry about their motives. I just worry about Christ being preached. And he finally got to that place. But I had a feeling it was a struggle to get there. So we need to make sure as Christians, okay, we need to make sure as Christians that we're not part of that internal persecution, that, that we're not trying to tear down um, our, our, our brothers and our sisters. We, we don't need to give in to that. But as we, as we live this life, when we face moments of persecution, when we face moments of challenge, when we face moments where we're maybe face-to-face with a brother or someone from the outside, and they're really trying their best to tear us down, to hurt us, to harm us, what does this passage say to do? How do we respond to them? What's the first word? Bless those who persecute you. What does our society tell us to do to those who want to harm us? Harm them back, you know? Don't just stand there and take it. But he says, look, what you need to do is you need to bless those who persecute you. And and this word bless literally means to speak well of. To speak well of. And to me, man, that's that's a challenge. That's a challenge. That that if, you know, if Riley is 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 just like if Riley has just made it his life to make me miserable. Okay, it's just Riley's just made his life. I'm going to make Matthew miserable. I don't like him as a preacher. I'm just going to go behind his back. I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to tear down what he's doing. You know, I'm going to encourage other people to tear it down and and to not like him because I don't like What is my Christian response? My Christian response is to speak well of Riley. Raise your hand if you think that's an easy thing to do. One of the things that I think is the hardest thing to do is when, yeah, maybe in public, but when you're on the phone late at night with your best friend or your own social media or wherever it might be, to always carry this idea to speak well, to speak well, and to not want to tear others down as well. But speak well of those who want to tear you down. Man, that's, that's, that's something that's, that's challenging, something that's hard, something that I believe we probably all need to work toward and live in a little bit better way. The second thing that I want to talk about, though, comes from verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
What does it mean to rejoice or to, or to live maybe a joyful life? I think a lot of times in our, in our world and in our understanding, we uh, put words like joy and joyful and happy and happiness kind of all under the same kind of word definition. But scripturally, there's, there's some differences here. So happiness can be determined by a lot of things. Things can make you happy and then things can make you unhappy. But in scripture, the idea of our joy comes directly from who? Directly from who? From God. And does God ever change? No. So our joy should never, we should be joyful people. We should live in a life of joy. And that word joy there doesn't just mean kind of a favorable disposition, but in this text it means living or leaning towards God's grace. Living and leaning towards God's grace. And I was thinking, what? What does that mean? What? What, what does that mean? And, and I got to thinking about, um, I got to thinking about this, and I was going to have him come up here, but we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just talk it out. Ryan is a trained law officer, which means Ryan, as you, can, as you all saw a few Wednesday nights ago, he's very well versed in handcuffing. Um, he's trained to be uh, an, an, an efficient with uh, with with numerous different uh, weapons uh, to defend himself and to defend others. So if if we're walking down, and and I'm not okay, I'm not. So if we're walking down a dark alley late one night, and you've got Ron and I beside you, and you hear something at the other end, who are you going to lean into? Not me. Going to lean into Ron. I'm going to lean into Ron. I don't know who else I'm with, but that's how I'm leaning in. I'm living my life in, in Ron's direction. We're putting Ron up front, you know. We don't have to outrun what's up there. We just got to outrun Ron on the way out, right? So Ron's going to benefit us the most in that moment because of his training and his ability. Okay, so we're going to lean into him, and in our life it's the same way. We have choices. I can either, for, for some of us, it's like I can either lean into God and 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 salt filled salt filled conversation. Okay, so scripture talks about it. Or I can lead into gossip, and when I make that choice of leaning into gossip, my life becomes complicated. My life becomes dramatic. I know people that that lean into that, and they're like, "I don't understand why my life is so dramatic." Well, it's because you're more concerned about everybody else's stuff than you are your own stuff. And that's what happens. Sometimes people think that everybody's business is everybody's business. And they lean into that and they walk into that. Some people lean in to fear. And that fear just consumes their life. Some people lean into anger. And that in fact that that affects every relationship that they have. But I can't help but think how crazy it would be, how wonderful it would be, how awesome it would be if we made it a goal that I'm going to lean into, live towards God's grace in everything. In everything. Imagine, imagine how that would affect your marriage if you're always leaning into God's grace. Imagine how that would affect raising your children, your, just your relationships in general. Blair shared an idea with me earlier this week, and, and, I, and I jotted it down because it fits so well into this idea of every encounter that you, sh- that you have with someone, 
leave them better than you found them. Now, when I've gone on trips with the youth group and the band and different things, when we go stay in a hotel or stay in someone's house, what do you always tell your kids? Leave it what? Better than you found it, right? And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But I had never thought about it in the idea of, of a relationship, of interacting with people, of leaving people better than when you started that interaction with them. And, and, and it sounded so, I mean, it took me a while to kind of, kind of digest and think about what, but it's all about living in God's grace. And, and we know people like that, don't we? We know people that when we spend time with them, when we walk away from that time with them, man, we feel we feel refreshed, don't we? We feel encouraged. We feel a sense of, we really look forward. We walk away, we're like, man, I really enjoyed that conversation with that person. And most of the time, if you look at their life, they're living, they're living a rejoicing life. They're living in the direction of God's grace. And, and that needs to be something that we do, that we live in that direction. And when, when we have encounters with people, even if they're difficult encounters, we can leave that situation in a grace-filled way to where we, we all walk away feeling closer to God. But then he goes on and he says, mourn with those who mourn. And, and I really think that this is an important thing about our relationships and our church families is that we need to have moments where we rejoice with one another, because that's what he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, okay? But then he says, mourn with those who mourn, those who are struggling and having a hard time. Make sure that you're just not the, 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 the guy that's always you know, rejoicing, but make sure in those moments when someone's struggling and having a hard time that you reach down to them as well. I'm gonna give you this last thought here. Because this is maybe the most powerful phrase to me um, for, for our church family. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. Do not be conceited. I want us to focus in on this first phrase, though, of live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. The, the word live here means to spend your life in a particular way under a particular set of circumstances. So it, it's saying that basically it's saying make up your mind to live this type of life. Okay? Make up your mind to live in harmony with one another. Harmony is, is a really cool thing. When you think about it from a, a musical perspective, and you think about people singing four-part or five-part harmony, it's when, when you hear, when, when uh, harmonies are really cool because when you have a group of people singing or, or a group of instruments playing, and they are truly in harmony playing those harmonic notes, okay, when they hit that chord, the cool thing about it is your ears don't just hear those notes they hear a wide octave of notes because the harmonies hit so perfect that your brain processes not just the notes you're hearing, but the notes that aren't being sung. And it's, it's a really neat thing. But what if you've got those four people singing those four-part harmony perfectly, and then that one person hits that off note. They, they, they just go flat just a little bit. Whether you know music or can sing or not, you know the difference in good harmony 
and no harmony. Because there's not really bad harmony, it's just not harmony, right? Like you know the difference. And our lives are the same way. We're to live in harmony with each other. And I got to really trying to think about this idea of, of, of what is harmony, especially in a church that's growing, a church that's wanting to continue to grow. I think of this definition that I found of harmony. Harmony is where old and new blend together. Where old and new blend together. One of the greatest challenges that faces churches in today's society is that they are ministering to the widest range of generations that churches have ever ministered to. The widest range. So we've got some of you here today who are in your 90s, okay? Some of you today who are in your 90s, and then you rewind that to our um, our nursery class back here, which on most Sundays is just bursting at the side. We're almost to the point to where we could put a new table in the nursery to, because we've got that many kids. So we have got, you know, 90 years worth of people in this room this morning. For starters, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's an amazing thing. But you know what's challenging about that? For starters, each generation has different things that feel important to them. Each generation has different things that they think need to be valued above other things. Each generation has beliefs that they have been taught. And I'm not talking about core doctrinal beliefs. Don't misunderstand me. But we've all, we, we all have our own traditions, if you will, that we find important to us. Each generation has a different way that they view worship. Each generation has a different way that they, they view their walk with God. Each generation has a different way that they view how we should function in this situation or in that situation as a church. And let me tell you what, from a leadership perspective, from a minister perspective, it brings a lot of challenges. Because inevitably, I'm going to do something, I'm going to say something, I'm going to, to, I'm going to have an idea of something that I'd love to see happen, that guess what? Someone's not going to like it. Someone's not going to like it. Because it's different to them. It's, 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 it's challenging to them. Change is hard as you grow as a church. And it doesn't matter what generation you're from. Change is hard. Change is hard. And one of our greatest struggles, I think, and, and, and I've seen it, guys. Okay, let's, let's, just, let's just be real. Let's just be real. As, as we've come out of COVID and, 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 and we've, we've changed a few things, as we've changed a few things, there's been some growing pains. And we're trying to find, once again, that harmony within our relationships as brothers and sisters to where there is a blend of old and new, where there is an understanding of everybody is important Everybody, we, we want everybody to feel like this is their church home and this is their church family, but also understand that there are going to be times that we may do something a little different or, or, or in this direction, or, or we may not do what, what you like or you enjoy, but there has to be give and take from everybody. Listen, there, there's things that, 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 
you know, if, if, if Matthew could decide how everything went, everything would be catered to the way Matthew wanted it done. Okay? If, if I got to decide, you know, we're all that way. We have to learn above, above that. that. That's where this, don't be proud, don't be conceited, okay? Be willing to live in harmony, to help find that blend of old and new. And I know, listen, I know that as spirit-filled Christians, we're working toward that. That even in our differences, we can have moments where, where, where we may disagree but we can live in grace with one another and we can come out of those moments and we can leave each other better than we found each other, that we can have, we, we, we can have spirit-filled disagreements and challenges and work toward understanding God's will may be greater and focusing on that above all else. And that's my ultimate goal for all of us is to live in harmony with one another, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ. That brings us to the end of this section. Brings us, there's a lot more, there's a lot more that we could say on this this morning, but as, as many of you, I'm struggling with this head cold, and, and that's just about all my voice can give you this morning. But I want you to read this with me one more time, and just let these words settle in with you this morning. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Let's close in a word of prayer, and the lesson will be yours. God, we thank you so much for our time together this morning. I thank you for the chance to just be in your presence and to sing songs of praise to you this morning, God, uh, to commune together spiritually uh, in the moment of the Lord's Supper, to remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made. God, we thank you for this time from, from Romans 12, and we just pray for your grace as we try to grow in each of these uh, passages that we've looked at over the last four weeks together. Help us to just be willing to, to live that renovated life, to fix the things that we need to fix and, and, and live as a holy temple for you. Be with us as we continue through our week. Help this to be the jumping point off to a great time together, um, to sharing your word with others, to sharing our faith, to sharing fellowship. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Is he